You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 906 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. Coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, you get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. Today's podcast breaks down what became the fourth consecutive loss for the Hawks and a frustrating one at that, falling to the Charlotte Hornets on the road by a final score of 113 to 105. And plenty to get to on the podcast. Broadly speaking, it is obviously quite bad to lose four games in a row, particularly when the Hawks were favored in all four. This is probably the most explainable loss of the four in terms of the you know being on the road, the way that Charlotte shot the ball in some ways, at least when compared to the last couple of games when the Hawks played, played at home, it just kind of played badly. At the same time, you cannot lose four games in a row to teams that you are better than, and that's a bad, bad open for this Hawks team at the moment. So we'll get into all of that, as well as some injury updates that happen here, and just how shorthanded the Hawks actually are also is very relevant at the moment. So uh, plenty to get into, and thank you for listening to the podcast today. In terms of the pregame stuff going into tonight's action, the Hawks changed their starting lineup. And that was not a huge surprise. They went to Bogdan Modanovic at the shooting guard spot alongside the same starters with Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella. Um, again, not a huge surprise. Cam Reddish had been struggling a little bit offensively, and the losing streak gave them sort of a natural time to do that after two days off. Um, it is kind of funny to look back and think about Bogdanovic starting as being a surprise to some people because he was obviously the, expect- the expected shooting guard coming into the year after getting the big contract in the offseason. But the Hawks went... Defense first with their lineups with Reddish, and that made some sense to start off the season, to be sure, and I defend, I defend that decision. I think it made a lot of sense at the time. Um, it's also, though, probably easier to go back to Bogdanovich with the way that Hunter is playing defense and the way that Collins is playing defense. I think overall, and also Charlotte in the matchup was probably one that was uh, not exactly that you needed to have um, Reddish on the, on the court all the time defensively at the start of the game. We'll come back to that, obviously, but... Even Lloyd Pierce was asked after the game about making the choice because he actually did not announce it until um, after his media availability, so no explanation until the after the game. He talked about sort of juicing the offense, getting off to a good start offensively, and then putting Cam in a comfortable position off the bench. It seemed to work, actually, for, for Cam Reddish, and we see this one-game sample size. Cam was much better in this game offensively. I agree with the decision, um, but... As we'll get into later on, Bogdanovich is now injured and could be out for a while, so it might have to go back to where they just were. But that that was sort of the big news in advance of the game, and that was only the second start of the season for Bogdanovich, who started against Memphis on the road earlier in the campaign. Um, the other big thing, uh, I guess I would say less notable but still very relevant, is that Tony Snell was upgraded to available for this game after missing the rest of the season so far. He did not play, which is not a huge surprise. Lloyd Pierce got into this before the game. And said that Snell, if he was used at all, would be used sparingly, essentially. And that is, uh, you know, for a guy who's not played in a long time, that didn't shock me, especially because Snell would not necessarily be in the rotation anyway. Now, right now, with how shorthanded the Hawks are, I think Snell probably would be playing. And honestly, if Bogdanovich is out for a while, he could play on Monday. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But given that it was game one and all of that, I wasn't shocked to not see Tony Snell. But he's now available to play. That, that's a good thing. He's a capable guy in the rotation. Not a high-level starter or anything like that, but someone who can play 3 and D role. Uh, kind of a low-usage role offensively, make some shots, play a little defense, and we'll probably see him in the relatively near future. The Hawks, again, as I said before, were five-point favorites. In this game, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag, and it was a back-to-back for Charlotte. That's kind of what makes it kind of even more brutal for Atlanta. 
is the fact that the Hornets were on a back-to-back and the Hawks were not. And Charlotte just really shot the heck out of the ball the entire game, and the Hawks did not. So there, there you go on that. We'll talk about that throughout the game. All right, we'll dive in now. The Hawks actually started pretty favorably. It was 8-3 to three for the Hawks in the early going. Out of uh, the first lob of the game, actually, was Trey Young to John Collins. It was a little bit high on the first possession of the contest, which is notable after the story from yesterday that I, that I got into on the podcast and all of the friction dynamics that were discussed publicly. They seem to be fine, getting along well, a couple of handshakes and stuff like that on the floor. Uh, their pregame celebration kind of stuff was out there, so I'm not worried necessarily, as I said yesterday on the podcast, but there you go on that. The Hawks led 8-3. to three. The Hornets actually opened cold. The Hawks were hot. They actually made their first three shots, including... Bogdanovich had actually made his first two attempts from the floor, and the shot quality was good early on, and that really never wavered. The first two misses even for the Hawks were on wide-open threes, so the positive start was uh, certainly out there. Capella was dominating on the glass, and the Hawks were much better on the glass than the entire game on both ends of the floor. That's worth pointing out as well. There was a big dunk from John Collins on a highlight play. The Hawks uh, were dominating the glass, as I said before, and then I think energy-wise, the Hawks played very well in the early going. They were almost overpassing at times. And then, of course, they slowed down and stopped making shots, basically. Um, the Hawks actually opened 6 of 18 from the floor after starting 3 of 3, so they made 3 of their next 15 shots. They were still scoring at a reasonable rate because of offensive rebounding and all of that, but they just could not get the ball to go in the basket. Um, Trey Young opened 0 of 5, finally made a pretty difficult layup, honestly, for a second basket of the game with his right hand. A couple of good passes as well. I thought Trey was better basketball-wise in this game. He still did not shoot the ball well, which we'll get into later on in the podcast, but I thought his effort was better, at least on offense. He was more in tuned and all that stuff, took more shots, was more engaged, just did not have it going in terms of actually converting shots. Um, the Hawks used a nine-man rotation in the first half, and they uh, actually used nine again in the second half. It, just, it was actually just a different nine because of the way that Bogdanovich was able, unable to play. But it was Goodwin, Herter, Reddish, Hill, and Capella to close the first quarter, and that was those were the guys that actually saw time in the first quarter of this game. Atlanta led. 29-28 after the first quarter, they actually actually posted a 1.27 offensive rating, which is really excellent, especially when you shoot the ball as badly as the Hawks did. But they only had two turnovers and six offensive rebounds in the first quarter, and the shooting did improve a little bit down the stretch, including John Collins, who opened 4-4, four four, hit a trail three, had nine points, six rebounds in the first quarter. That was definitely a story in, that I want to get into, is that Collins kind of just disappeared usage-wise. I thought he played well in this game and probably needed to have the ball more, honestly, from that point forward, which we'll come back to later on. The second quarter is when things kind of got off the rails a little bit for Atlanta. They lost the quarter 31-21. to They stayed with the bench for a little while. That was fine. And actually, Reddish, who struggled previously, as I said before, hit two, I thought, pretty badly needed catch-and-shoot catch and threes to break out of it a little bit. He shot the ball well in this game overall in terms of uh, in the middle. And then late, he kind of lost it again. But still, I think it was good to see him having the ball go in the basket. And Cam led the team in scoring with 21 points. Granted, he took 17 shots. But the ball was going a little bit better for him, especially early on when he was knocking down threes uh, coming out of the gate in the second quarter. The Hawks went to a lineup of young Herder, Bogdanovich, Hunter, and Collins after um, giving away the lead early in the first Sorry, early in the second quarter with Charlotte tying it. The shot quality, again, was good, but they turned the ball over five times in the first six minutes of the, of the second quarter after not turning it all, turning the ball over really at all in the first quarter, which is a problem. And then McDonough went down around midcourt with 4.30 to go. He collided with, he collided with LaMelo Ball, and he left the game the other night, by the way, with a right ankle issue. This time around, it is a right knee injury. That's all the Hawks have said officially. He was listed as doubtful right away, and then he was ruled out during halftime. 
And then after the game, Lloyd Pierce did not give an official update on Bogdanovich, but as part of another answer um, in the postgame, he referenced the fact that, they, they were, that the Hawks are going to have a guy that is, quote, probably going to be out for a little while, end quote. And that's got to be Bogdanovich. That was the only guy who they were talking about in that way. So it did not look great, honestly. You know, I'm not going to speculate, but I would be shocked if he played Monday, that's for sure. And then hopefully it's not a long-term injury for the Hawks, who are already so snake-bitten without Gallinari and Dunn and Rondo. And, you know, at a Kongwu, their lottery pick, all that stuff. But uh, it would be a pretty big loss if they lost it for any, for any length of time. But they need, they need him in this game, honestly. Having a shorthanded bench did not help them at all in this spot. And Maldonado made two shots early on. He was minus one in the game, but only 11 minutes. And they needed him pretty badly at times for four spacing. And they had to go a little bit deeper into the bench. All of that. So both a single game loss to have him not out there for the last two and a half quarters and also potentially a longer term loss. So a pretty brutal result there for Bogdanovich. Um, both before and right after the injury to Bogdan, which was when Charlotte made their big run of the of the entire game. Honestly, it was a 19 to five overall run by the Hornets, taking take a nine point lead after the Hawks led by, led by five with eight minutes to go in the first half. And Atlanta went into the halftime break down by nine after a 31 to 21 quarter. The Hornets just shot the ball incredibly well the entire game, really. But in the second quarter, they were 12 of 18 from the floor and five of seven from three. In the same quarter. The Hawks were 7 of 23 from the floor and 3 of 13 from 3. So the Hawks took 5 more shots and 6 more threes and lost the quarter by 10. That's tough to do. It's just kind of a bad shooting omen. We'll get more. We'll get into that more later on. But Charlotte made everything in the first half. And the Hawks, while doubling up the Hornets' 3-point attempts, just could not get the ball to go in the basket. Obviously, that will be continuing momentarily in the second half. Before we get to the second half of the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Built Bar. I've been telling you for a long time that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and that is still very much the case. But also, the new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious. The original flavors are fantastic, and they continue to be so. But now, there are 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and, a, and of course, my personal favorite, and cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and they're all soft and easy to chew, which is also very important to point out. And from there, I should remind you that Built Bar is also fantastic. For those of us trying to be health conscious, you can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are low calorie, high protein, low sugar, and high fiber. And Built Bar is even great if you're on the keto diet with all the nutrients you need. And again, a taste that puts other competitors in the space to absolute shame. In order to check it all out, BuiltBar.com is the place to go. Yes, it's BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON when you get there. When you visit BuiltBar.com and use that promo code, you'll get 20% off your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that is BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com and try Built Bar today. All right, we'll dive back into the second half of this game and then get into some takeaways for after the contest. Um, they brought in Reddish to start the second half for Bogdanovich, which was not a huge surprise at all. Um, in fact, that was probably the natural thing to do. Reddish hit two big threes in the first two minutes of the second half, which was nice to see. One, one was a pretty tough shot in the corner. Uh, ha- actually had missed his first two of the game, then made it made four of his next six. But then actually, I think he missed his last five from three. Yeah, missed his last five attempts from three. So a cold, hot, cold night for Cam as a shooter. But the Hawks opened the second half on an 11-4 run, climbed within two, and then had the ball with a chance to tie, and then got called for a moving screen with Capella. That was kind of the uh, foreshadowing from later on, which is another sequence that we'll get into momentarily. But the first sub was, was Herter for Capella. They stayed small. They actually brought Capella back in earlier on than usual for Collins with a shorter rotation. They played Brandon Goodwin with Trey Young in the third quarter. Which made some sense because again, without Bogdanovich, they don't really have a lot of options right now without Gaunari and Dunn and all those and all those guys. 
So they went briefly to Nathan Knight, who we'll get to later on, and he played. Uh, he was the tenth guy, played two minutes. But really, they were down to seven guys that they really trust, and a good one uh, being the eighth as well. And even then, he's more of a pure backup point guard. They, they, they did try him with Trey briefly, but they were really shorthanded. Let's just say that. In fact, they had six guys in this game played 27 minutes or more. And everybody else was, uh, you know, obviously less less used than that. Um, there was a huge swing and one of multiple 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 swings that went against the Hawks in this game. And Pierce referenced one of these, the one I'm going to get to in a second. But the first one was the miss moving screen on Capella that would have tied the game. Then later in the third quarter, they had a big one with Reddish missing a wide open corner three, and then Hayward for Charlotte hits a hits a three on the other end of the floor to put the lead, to put the lead back to seven. So it could have been one when then went up to seven. Then the Hornets led by eight. And then in the last two minutes of the third quarter, this is the sequence that Pierce referenced after the game and the one that I talked about on Twitter in real time even. This is the one. The Hawks down by three with two minutes to go-ish in the third quarter. Had two threes in the air on the same possession that would have tied the game. The first one from Brandon Goodwin. Second one from Solomon Hill. I'm not sure if that was the order, but those, those two guys were the ones that shot the threes. They were both really good looks, wide open. They both missed them. That's going to happen, but it was just a good uh, example of this game overall. They missed both. Then Charlotte hits a three to go up by six. The Hawks turn it over, and then the Hornets get a run-out layup to go by eight. So within about 30 seconds, the game could have been tied, and suddenly the Hawks are down by eight. Then after a timeout... They miss two more threes in a row on pretty decent looks, and the Hornets make another contested three, and then suddenly the game is 11. So that was really it, honestly. And obviously the Hawks had chances again and before this as well, but the Hawks shot 9-23 from the floor in the third quarter to basically fall out of contention in some form or fashion. They were shooting 37% from the floor in the third, and then also late in the third quarter, Trey Young goes down trying to take a charge on that, uh, during that same sequence, he was called for the foul, but also, more importantly, he had he seemed to land on his wrist, and his wrist was bothering him pretty visibly throughout the rest of the game. He had it wrapped in the postgame and was clearly favoring it, I thought, like holding it during play, holding it during stoppages, clearly in pain. He had an x-ray after said that. There was no formal update from the Hawks, but he said he was in pain, and obviously that's the problem if it lingers at all. He did say that he was going to be okay, but I'm sure they will do more exhaustive examination of that wrist. You know, Bogdanovich's injury looked worse, but Trey, obviously, you cannot afford to be without him for any length of time if you're the Hawks right now in a sort of free fall that they've been in the last four games. And he's your best player. He's your offensive centerpiece. All that stuff is very obvious, but I'll just say it out loud. They need him to be healthy and good, and that's not great. So, obviously, he came back in the game, but clearly did not look, look like himself necessarily in terms of health and was favoring that risk. So, we'll keep an eye on that, obviously, as we get to uh, the post game and all that. So, in the fourth quarter... The Hawks won the fourth quarter, but not in a way that was going to be enough to pull off the uh, comeback. So they went to Nathan Knight, as I said before, to open the fourth quarter as the ninth guy in the second half. He had a nice block shot, some good energy there, didn't play a whole lot. The Hawks got the, got the ball down, got, got the lead, I should say, down to nine. But then Charlotte hit, again, two more contested threes by Terry Rozier, who was hot in this game. And then the lead suddenly 15 with eight, with eight minutes to go. The Hawks did get it back to single digits after a Solomon Hill three, then a stop. And then Trey Young hit, hit, hit DeAndre Hunter for a three-point play to get it to nine. And that was kind of the last time the Hawks really, really threatened. They did again one more time with about four minutes to go. After four free throws in a row from DeAndre Hunter, get the lead from 13 down to nine. A couple stops there. You get Cam Reddish fouled with 3.04 to go, down nine. He splits the pair of free throws to get down, to get the lead back to eight. Then they got a turnover from Charlotte. So with you know, we're still down eight. They're still an underdog, obviously, in this spot. But down eight, if they score there... A pretty interesting spot, potentially, but they had a pretty rough possession, and then that one ended in a Cam Reddish turnover that led, that led to a run out, 
and a bucket for the Hornets. And the next trip after that was Trey Young getting blocked up the rim. I thought it was a goaltend, honestly. At least it could have been a goaltend. I never, never saw the replay, but live looked kind of bad. But then after that, the Hornets hit a three, and that basically ends the game. So, yeah, lots to get to here. But one note that I want to point out at the end of the fourth quarter that people were asking me about that I actually agree with. This is one of those things that gets overblown, but I, I do agree with it. They closed a lot of the game with Capella at the five instead of Collins. I would have gone back to Collins earlier. He, he did come in at the very, very end, but I would have gone back to Collins. The Hawks have definitely decided, and I think I agree with this, to only play Collins or Capella most of the time in crunch time, and that's probably for the best. Unless you're playing a team like Denver or Philly when you really need more size, I'm okay with playing one of those guys most of the time. With that said, I thought Collins was really good in this game and just didn't play enough and didn't have the ball enough. So that was one quibble that I will have. But rotationally, that was kind of the only thing that I wanted to point out. Everything else was pretty standard. And because the Hawks were so shorthanded, there wasn't a lot that could be done uh, in terms of the rotations in this game. But, you know, down the stretch, the Hawks just didn't make shots. And I know I referenced it before, but in terms of getting the takeaways here, I'm just going to read some numbers overall that will kind of tell you it's better if you watch the game it's better if you go back and watch the game again and see the uh shot quality i do i did watch the game quickly again a second time before i recorded this podcast i was flying through it to try to see all of the plays but it is really stark the shot quality the hawks had and how many shots they, that they just missed and then the hornets were just really hot all night long but the hawks attempted 13 more threes in this game than the hornets that's a really good sign usually they attempted 14 more shots overall if you attempt 14 more shots than your opponent, you're supposed to win the game most of the time, especially when the Hawks took more free throws than the Hornets. So again, if you're scoring at home, the Hawks took more twos, more threes, and more free throws than the Hornets and lost by eight. The Hawks also had 11 more offensive rebounds. They had fewer turnovers than the Hornets. And again, they still lost this game because it's a make or miss league on some level. The Hornets shot 40 of 77 from the floor. The Hawks were 34 of 91. So the Hornets made six more shots than the Hawks on 14 fewer attempts than the Hawks. 52% to 37%. That's the story of the game right there. Then you get into threes, where the Hornets made 15 of 33. So they made one more three than the Hawks did on 13 fewer attempts. That is also bad. And obviously, there's some good shooters on the Hornets. Uh, Rozier's been really good this season to start the season. He was four of nine. Um... But it was also the bench guys, like the Martin twins combined to go four or five from three for the Hornets. LaMelo Ball, who I like a lot and was awesome in this game, shot three or five from three. And LaMelo Ball is not a great shooter at this point in time. So the shot quality stuff, I know people don't want to hear it, but it, I swear if you watch the game, it is so very clear the Hawks ran good offense in this game and just did not make shots whatsoever. Now, I will say taking a step back, that's easier to for people to accept when it's not the fourth, fourth loss in a row. And I totally get that. I'm, I'm just going to acknowledge that right now. So there's two different discussions to be had. One of them is tonight only, and the other one is big picture, losing four games in a row. So we'll talk about tonight only. Tonight only, I thought the Hawks played fine. Now, defensively, there were some moments that were not great, but I think, you know, acknowledging the fact the Hornets scored 1.18 points per possession, that is bad. But if you factor in the shot quality, I think the Hawks didn't do a terrible job defensively. It wasn't good. It was pretty bad, but it wasn't like gross negligence bad defensively. And then offensively, the Hawks managed to score 110 points per 100 possessions in this game. That is a pretty good figure. And to do that when you shoot as bad as the Hawks did on wide open shots. And again, it wasn't bad shooters. Trey Young, 0 of 5 from 3. Bogdanovich, 1 of 5 from 3. Um, Kevin Herter, 3 of 10 on good looks from 3. Reddish was 4 of 13. Like, I understand if you want to pick, you know, pick on Brandon Goodwin's 1 of 4. 
sure, if you want to pick on Hunter, you know, Hunter was one of three. Like, the only shaky shooter is really good when, and maybe if you want to say Reddish is not a great shooter yet, those guys, even if you, if you even take them out, the shooting was really bad. And it's just, you can't, you know, there's nothing that coaches can do that. There's nothing you can do as a player other than just make shots, and it's like a boring explanation. And it's probably one that's often overused, but this is one of those games that's so very clear that a shooting variance game happened here. Now, big picture, back to the back to the four games in a row. No one wants to hear that after four games in a row, and I totally get it. Now, part of my responsibility is to be even keeled, so I, that's why I led with the other one because that's really what happened in this game. But you cannot lose four games in a row to teams that you're better than. Now, the first game of that four-game losing streak was a back-to-back. They ran out of gas. I totally get it. The middle two games, which is the ones that we talked about before, the game on uh, Monday and Wednesday, are bad. Those are bad losses. And I explained that at the time. I said this much on the podcast. Those are two bad losses. They gave up second-half leads. They just did not in the first game. Second game, they just played terribly in the first half. You can't afford to do that when the Hawks are better than what they've been so far, but the Hawks are not good enough to do what they've been doing. And part of that's injuries. Listen, this Hawks team, at least the second half of this Hawks game, was basically the same roster as last year and Clint Capella. Now, that's still better than last year's roster because you have because you had Capella, but you everybody you signed, somebody pointed this out to me today, and I, I kind of made me think about it in a funny way, but by the second half of this game, every single free agent acquisition the Hawks made is injured at this moment, other than Solomon Hill, who was signed to a minimum non-guaranteed contract. And then you throw in the fact that your lottery pick is also injured. So every major acquisition the Hawks made, I will say this with, with confidence, every major acquisition the Hawks made during the offseason is injured right now. The only guy guys that are different from last year's team that are playing by the second half of tonight's game were Capella, who they traded for in season but was injured, and Solomon Hill, who again, minimum non-guaranteed signing. So that is worth pointing out. Is it going to tell you everything? No, but the Hawks are shorthanded by the end of this game, and they just missed shots. They really did. So all of the stuff about Pierce and the fallout from yesterday's story, I saw some people like sort of equating this performance to a fallout from the story on The Athletic. That's kind of insane. If you watch this game, there was no like energy deficiency for the Hawks. There was no issue with the way that the Hawks were getting along on the court or like guys that were sleepwalking or whatever. If you want to say that for Wednesday's game, I'll listen to you because the Hawks' effort on Wednesday was not good. Overall, at least a couple of players were not great in that game, and the effort level was not good. This game, if you watch it back, there's no effort issue. They played hard. They they just, they just didn't make shots. So I get it. It's all mixed signals. I, I'm sure there is going to be some heat, some heat on Lloyd Pierce, and justifiably so. Listen, you can't you can't lose these four games in a row. Do I think this was a coaching loss? Absolutely not. If you watch the game back, that's not really in there. But at the same time, the middle two games especially were ones that you get blamed for if you're the head coach, and that's justifiable. So. Nuance is dead, and I know that. I'm sorry that I rely on nuance often on the podcast, but here we are, and uh, that's my fallout for today's game. So, again, offensively, the results were not good because they just missed shots, but the the process, if you look at the process stuff, the shot quality, the offensive rebounding, um, turnovers were decent enough, 13s, not too many for this Hawks team, so they just did a pretty good job on everything except for making shots offensively, and then defensively, yeah, they got beat. And a couple times, you would see some bad breakdowns. LaMelo Ball just getting to the rim at will at times. Um, losing Terry Rozier a couple of, on a couple of occasions. But I think defensively, the Hawks have been worse than that at times and haven't, haven't been bitten for it. Credit to the Hornets for just making shots all night long, and that's what happens sometimes in the NBA. Okay, 
that covers it for now, I think. Uh, before we get to the individual breakdowns, though, a uh, word from our sponsors. And this time, I will talk to you about the good folks at betonline.ag. The NBA season is here. College basketball is in full swing, and the NFL playoffs are happening right now. And with that in mind, there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA getting geared up as the regular season continues with great matchups on a nightly basis, there is a jam-packed slate of college basketball games almost every night. And from there, all eyes are on the NFL playoffs with the league's biggest stars in action in the upcoming divisional round set to trim the remaining teams from 8 down to 4. If none of that gets you going, there's a full menu of offerings from BetOnline.ag at any sport you can think of. And BetOnline also has a huge menu of player props as well as live wagering, a ton of future bets, and exotic offerings. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. One more time, that is promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll dive in now to the individual players, as we always do on the podcast at the end. And we'll start on the bench. As I said before, Nathan Knight came in for two minutes. He had a good energy, had a nice block, had a nice rebound. I thought he played well. I've, I, I continue to hear calls from Nathan Knight to play more, and I, I do understand that because he has played well when he has played. I would encourage people to realize that he's still on a two-way contract and probably isn't going to be as good as he's been on the court. But still, I mean, he's clearly ahead of Bruno Fernando right now in the pecking order. This is two games now where the Hawks have played him over Bruno. That's not a small thing. Bruno Fernando was a draft pick that the Hawks traded up to get, you know, less than two years ago. So that, that alone is a pretty big endorsement of Nathan Knight, but you're not going to play him over Solomon Hill or Capella or Collins. And then when a Congo comes back, you're going to play him too. So I can see all sides there, but I thought, I thought Knight did what he was asked to do and played well when he came in. And that's not a bad thing at all. Uh, Brandon Goodwin wasn't fantastic in this game. Uh, five points, three assists, had a turnover, was minus 12 in his 13 minutes. Uh, missed a couple of big shots, as most guys did in this game. Uh, he's not a great shooter, never has been. But good good energy, I thought. Just like didn't kill them, but wasn't great either. Um, Solomon Hill made three big threes, had three assists, had three steals as well, had three rebounds. I don't think he played as well as those numbers indicate, or as poorly as the minus 12 indicates that he had in this game. Had nine points. He did his job. He's a uh, he's a backup for a reason. He has limitations, but I thought Hill was okay and made the shots that he was asked to make. He was really the only guy that made shots in this game from the perimeter consistently. In fact, he was the only guy, other than John Collins, only took one. Collins was one on one. The only guy who took more than one shot that made that made a reasonable percentage of their threes in this game was Solomon Hill at three or five. So there you go. The other, uh, the two bench wings, Herder and Reddish, in this game, I thought actually both played reasonably well, but just really shot it very poorly. So combined, Herder and Reddish were 10 of 30 from the floor. That's rough. And 7 of 23 from 3, which is even worse. So uh, we'll start with Herder first. I thought Herder had 6 assists, five, 4 rebounds. I thought just the process stuff was pretty good there. Just didn't make shots in this game. And it, it's tough for him to make you know, to sort of make waves where he's not making shots. It wasn't a disaster. You know, three of 10 from three is not the end of the world. You're still shooting 30%, which is not good, but it's not terrible. But uh, obviously I had a couple, a couple of those needed to go in for him. And then Reddish, I thought, again, as I said before, took a step four offensively this game, played pretty confidently, made some catch and shoot, catch and shoot jump shots, still was four of 13, but it was better. Got the line six times, was aggressive. His drives are still not there yet. He's had a couple of, a couple of out of control drives. Again, this game had three turnovers, um, I get nervous now watching him with the ball in his hands going to going to the rim, which is kind of where I was early last season, which is not what you want for Cam Reddish. But still, he shot the ball well, and Pierce was pretty complimentary of the way that he played overall. Defensively, he made a couple of nice plays as well. Had four steals, was active, had five rebounds. I thought it was a genuinely 
uh, more positive game from Red- from Reddish, despite the shaky shooting. Did have 21 points. You know, that probably overstates it a little bit, his scoring total. But um, the efficiency was not good, but everything else was okay. I thought he took a step forward when compared to the last couple of games for him. To the starters... But Donovan Mitchell only played 11 minutes, as, as I said before. Started out the game well, made his first two shots, and then kind of cooled off and then was gone. So, again, hopefully not too long of an absence, but with Pierce sort of flippantly referring to uh, a potential for a long absence there, not great. And we'll get an update for that, hopefully on Sunday, maybe even into Monday, and we'll update you at that point in time. Um, elsewhere in the starters, click Capella. 27 minutes, 7, re- seven points, I should say, 13 rebounds, 2 turnovers, a steal, and an assist. I don't think he was great here. I thought he was solid and got a lot of rebounds and was very active on the glass in a good way. I thought he uh, protected the rim reasonably well. A couple of moments where he got blown by around the rim, but it was a solid Capella game. It wasn't great. The rebounds are nice. A couple of post-ups, and this is something people tweeted about. I think Nate Duncan was talking about this as well. The Capella post-ups are not good uh, and should be used very sparingly. I know you want to keep the guy happy at times, as that's kind of a long-standing trope in the NBA is to keep the center happy with an occasional post-up. I get that. It's not going to go well when it happens, uh, so I would try to do that a little bit less if I was the Hawks offensively. That's just one minor note there. Um, DeAndre Hunter, I thought played pretty well again. 20 points, 8 rebounds, 2 blocks, a steal, an assist. Again, Hunter is like the breakout of the season. He's the guy who's been a revelation so far. The other guys who've played well, you know, obviously you're young, you're Collins, those guys are more more established. I think Herter is the runner-up for this, who's also played very well, but Hunter is clearly the breakout guy so far. 28 speaks for itself, but the rebounds um, are, are solid. Blocks and steals came in this game. He got to the rim, 6 of 12 overall from the floor, 1 of 3 from 3, got to the line seven times. He was just aggressive, got to the line in the fourth quarter when they needed it as well. So I thought he played well. And by the way, they were plus 4 when Hunter played and then uh, minus 12 without him. So that doesn't tell you everything, but it's a pretty good indicator. He's been very good. He was good again this game. And the last two guys, John Collins, I thought played very well. 12 points, 10 rebounds. I... It blows my mind a little bit that he only had three shot attempts after the first quarter. So that's that's a problem. Now, getting, he got to the line six times, so it wasn't like he just stopped getting the ball altogether. But I would have liked to have seen more more from John in this game. Not necessarily it's not on him, but just getting him the ball more um, targeted. If there's one complaint I would have about the overall approach in this game offensively, it would have been not involving John enough. That's the only thing I would say, because everything else, as I said before, was basically shot quality stuff. But John only having, you know, basically 10 shooting possessions in 30 minutes is not great, particularly when he gets six offensive rebounds. So he created a couple of those by himself. I would just like, let's see more, though. He had some fouls. He had four fouls, which is part of the reason why he played a little bit less. But even then, he played 30 minutes. That was plenty of time. And again, as I said before, I would have closed with him for a little bit longer than I, than they actually did. They had Capella out there for a little while. Capella's still, you know, a bigger bruiser, all that stuff in terms of trying to get stops. But Collins, for offense possessions, is still the better option. So... I think he played reasonably well, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of John in terms of just like forcing him the ball. And then finally, Trey Young, 37 minutes to lead the team comfortably. 15 points. He did have 10 assists, which is uh, noteworthy to be sure. Um, was the game high. Uh, sorry, no. LaBella Ball was the game high, but the game high for the Hawks with 10 assists. Um, but, you know, that's that seems fine. But four turnovers from Trey, which is not too bad. You, you'll, you'll live with that for sure. But the shooting, again, continues to be a problem for Trey Young recently. He was 5 of 19 from the floor and 0 of 5 from 3. At 5-5 from the free throw line. You know, the fourth quarter, he seemed like he didn't necessarily want to shoot because of the wrist. That I understand. Now, before that, though, it was not like he took a lot of shots in the fourth and that was what messed up his, his shooting. He was really rough before that. So now, in the last five games, Trey is 29 of 87 from the floor, which is not what you want. That's 33%. And then 6 of 27 from, from three. So, am I worried? No. 
Um, but that does explain part of the offensive struggles. Now, I think the Hawks were legitimately bad offensively on Monday and Wednesday. Today, they weren't. Even the numbers, with all the bad shooting, the Hawks scored well enough, probably, to win most games. If you score 1.10 points per possession, you are probably favored to win against most teams. That happened even with the poor shooting. So he didn't drag down the offense. He still has to be guarded. He still had 10 assists. He was more aggressive. People were comparing this to Wednesday. It was night and day, quite honestly, from the way that Trey played. I thought Trey was just like pretty terrible on Wednesday, like as a, in terms of just like everything he did pretty much, by his standards anyway. Tonight, he didn't shoot well. He didn't finish well. I thought his actual gameplay was much better in this game. His energy was better. Uh, defensively, had a couple a couple of mishaps, but you know, honestly, having Trey having to guard like Lamelo Ball on a switch is bad. Like there were a couple of layups that Lamelo got going right at Trey, but he's giving up five inches there, six inches there. What are you going to do? Offensively, he got some shots that he wanted. He had 21 shooting possessions or 22 shooting possessions. That's plenty of shots. Like it wasn't like Trey had a low, had a low usage in this game, and the Hawks were plus zero. They were dead even when he played. So. The shots will go in at some point. 0-5 from three is not what you expect for Trey Young. Also, the floater game is not there for Trey. He, he made one or two in this game, but missed probably three or four, maybe more than that, in that range that he usually dominates in. So he just hasn't got it going right now, and that's okay. It's it's what happens. It's just the, the time is unfortunate because the rest of the offense has needed a little bit more from him. So you can't attribute that necessarily as a huge problem moving forward. I think he's going to be fine. As long as the wrist is okay, that, that's definitely something you want to keep an eye on. But I don't worry about Trey Young suddenly being a bad offensive player. That's not going to happen. So if you want to have your conspiracy theory about how he's mad at Lloyd Pierce or mad at John Collins, like that's totally fine as well. But I think if you watch this game versus Wednesday, Wednesday, I would understand the like eyebrow raise about how bad he was and how passive he was. Tonight, he wasn't passive, really. He got what he wanted. He just didn't make shots. And that was the uh, story of the game for the Hawks overall. So I've said enough. I've gone way longer than usual on a solo podcast, but I say that because I'm going to be, I plan to take the night off on Sunday evening into Monday. I did six podcasts this week. This is actually going to be the seventh in about a five day period, six day period. So this is, this is our first show of next week. Technically, so this will be the Monday podcast. If we get a huge update, a huge injury, something, if something weird happens, I will, I might pop back in for, for a quick one, but um, unless we have major news, I am planning to not record until after the game on Monday against the Sixers. So to preview that a little bit, looking ahead, the Sixers have massive COVID protocol issues right now. They did play today, but they had eight players available. Eight players available. And really, it was seven players. They played seven guys. Mike Scott had to be in uniform to get to eight, but they only had seven guys available. You had Tyrese Max played 44 minutes. Dakota Mathias played 41 minutes. Isaiah Joe played 45. So... If that's the same team we see on Monday, the Hawks should win. Um, with that said, it looks like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons were held out for injury today, so they might be available on Monday. There's at least a chance that game is not going to happen. There was definitely some doubt about the Sixers game on Saturday, so we'll keep an eye on that as well. If there isn't a game, I'll still do a podcast Monday night, but uh, keep an eye on that. You know, Obviously, Philly's playing well today, notwithstanding that they had just no personnel. Philly's been off to a pretty good start. That's a tough game. And as, as I've been saying for a long time, these first nine games for the Hawks were the favorable ones for a while. Now, this week, you have four games in which the Hawks might not be favored in any of them. You have a home game against Philly, who's better than you probably, and then you go on the road against Phoenix, Portland, and Utah. And none of those games are walkovers, and they're all on the road. So home court advantage is worth less this year than it has been for a while, based on the numbers and you know the lack of fans, all that stuff. But still a tough trip for Atlanta, and uh, going 4-5 and five in this first nine is not what you wanted if you were Atlanta. You would probably want to go 6-3, and three, maybe even 7-2, and you posted four or five. So all in all, 
a pretty disappointing evening for the Hawks, especially after the way they started with the lead in the first quarter. And you can't get around that. I'm not going to be the hot take guy really ever on this podcast. And I tried to explain all of the angles here. I'm sure I'll get yelled at for not wanting to fire Lloyd Pierce. But this is not the night for that. If you wanted to honestly criticize the staff, the nights to do that, and I think I, I at least alluded to that, was Monday and Wednesday. Those are the games that are, were the ones that were really, really bad losses. This one isn't good, but uh, it really is more a factor on the other one. So losing four in a row, nobody should be happy. If they're seen on Lloyd Pierce, I will understand it at this point. It's early in the year. I'm not on the fire Lloyd Pierce train. My apologies to everybody that is, but uh, that's I can only say what I think and try to reason and try to give you the big picture and try to be as level-headed as possible, which not everybody loves, and I understand that. So that's what I'll be saying on today's podcast. Hopefully that is not too much uh, content from me, solo-wise, on this fine Saturday evening. But if you want more of the podcast, please subscribe to the show. I appreciate everyone that's been listening already. Long time, short time, however long, thank you for your patronage. Please tell a friend about the podcast as well as leave a five-star rating and a review. As I said before, our podcast will be here again at the very latest on Monday evening into Tuesday, perhaps before that, but stay tuned. If you subscribe, you'll have the podcast when it drops, and we'll see you next time.